Good morning, church. My name is Kendrick, and I'm the pastor here at Calvary Church West Hills. I think it's still January, so we can still continue to say Happy New Year, right? Happy New Year. This is the January. This is the month when people are like, I'm going to start afresh. I'm going to set goals. I'm going to start New Year's resolutions. More resolutions and goals are set in January than any other month. There's also more goals and resolutions broke in January than any other month. And so these last few weeks, we've been looking at things that would be beneficial. What are some things we can do in our lives this year that would help improve our relationship with Jesus, that would help us gain the life that Jesus came for? A couple weeks ago, we looked at Ephesians, and I wanted to start the year off with reminding everybody in here that Jesus loves you, right? And that Jesus loves you because of what he did, not because of anything that you did, that all your failures and all the things that you have messed up, Jesus went to the cross for those because he loves you, right? And so as we remember those things, if we remember nothing else this year but that there's a God in heaven who loves you, that's a start to a good year. And we wanted to start with that. Then last week, Dr. Phil, not that Dr. Phil, I like to call him the real Dr. Phil, right? The real Dr. Phil, he challenged us to choose to serve the Lord this year, that every day we would choose to serve the Lord. And we're still in January, and 350 days of committing to follow the Lord can sometimes seem daunting. So just start with today. Just start with today. Today, when I wake up, choose to follow the Lord. When you wake up, before you even get out of bed, just say, today I'm going to follow the Lord. And then today we're going to end this little short series, this impromptu series on how to have the best year of your life. We're going to end it today. So remember, first thing was, remember that God loves you. The second thing was, is choose to follow the Lord. And then finally this morning, I want to look at how can we achieve the one thing, the one thing that every single beauty pageant contestant wants, the one thing that psychologists get paid lots and lots and lots of money to provide, There's countless phone apps that claim they can give you this one thing. But this one thing seems impossible to grasp. For many of us, trying to grasp this is like grasping at the air. And this morning, I want us to look at this year how we can have peace in our lives. How we can have more peace in our lives. If we're honest with ourselves and we look back, our our lives are consumed with worry. And worry holds our thoughts captives, right? It sucks the peace and joy out of our lives on a daily basis. We start looking back and realize that we worry all the time. We worry about things like sports teams. And the Chargers prove to us that even when we shouldn't worry, we should worry, (laughs) right? It could go bad. We worry about the economy. We worry about our bills. We worry about our children, We worry about our parents. We worry about a lot of our relationships. Is this person going to leave? Is this person going to go? What does this person think about me? What does that person think that I think about them? We worry about that. We worry about politics. We worry about pandemics. And then we worry about what others think that we worry about pandemics. And it's just this cycle of worry and worry and worry and worrying. And it's enough already. Right? We, we should be done with that. That is not how we have peace. 
That is not God's plan for his children. Jesus tells us not to worry. Don't let your days be filled with worry. They don't even add a day to your life, so why are you doing it? And if we're honest, peace seems like something that we will only experience in heaven. It's one of those things that we will have later, and, and we, we tell ourselves, oh, I can't wait till that day when I can have peace, because today i got to worry about things like the bills and kids and works and relationships. i got to worry about this cough. Is it a COVID cough? Is it something that's going to kill me? And now the news is telling us that we should all worry that maybe we have classified documents somewhere in our house, right? And so now we have to check our house, right? My life is consumed with worry and peace, and peace does not seem like something I can grasp. It does not seem like something that's at hand. It is just something in the distance. But is it, right? Is it? Does it have to be? Well, Scripture tells us no. I don't think it does. Paul gives us some strategies for having peace in our lives now, for enjoying the joy of the Lord now. So go ahead and open or click on your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. And this is an interesting letter. Philippians is a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. Philippi is a historically significant town in the Roman world. It's a coastal town located on the northeast of Greece along the Aegean Sea. It is the location of one of the most important battles of Roman history where uh, Mark Antony and Octavian, and Octavian later was, became known as the first emperor of Rome, Emperor Augustus, but his birth name was Octavian. And it was at a, spo- a spot where Mark Antony and Octavian defeated Brutus. And he was the leader of the group that assassinated Julius Caesar. And this became the battle that in all effect, it ended the Roman Republic, and it began the Roman monarchy. It began the, the government that was in power in that area when Jesus was alive. A hundred years after this battle, the apostle Paul, he visits this Roman colony. Right? And on both his second and his third missionary trips, we know he did at least twice. He may have been there more than that, but during his time there, he established a church. And this city became an important city for the early church. It became an important city for the spread of the gospel in that region. And Paul writes the church a letter. The purpose of this letter was to encourage the believers in Philippi to live out their faith. To teach them how to live out their, uh, the, their trust in Jesus in that community that they are living in. That their love for Christ would be evident in their lives and how they treated others. And as he concludes this letter, he leaves them with this plea. He, leaves them, he urges them to have peace in their lives. And then he tells them how to have this peace in their lives. And now what I really love about this passage is that if you look at verse 4, Paul ends this plea with them by writing, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, to understand how significant that is, you have to know the context in which Paul is writing. Because when we know that, it, Paul is the perfect person to teach us how to have peace. We know that when Paul wrote this church to the church in Philippi, that he was in Rome. He was not there on vacation. He was not there on a work trip. He was there in jail. And the best case scenario is he was under house arrest, 
The worst case scenario is that he was chained to a wall. And there's some discrepancies, but neither of those are important because what he does know and what he makes evident in this letter is that he's facing death. That he knows that his death is coming. I remember this one commentary wrote this down, that Paul is facing possible imminent death. His time is coming to an an end. He knows that he's going to be dead shortly. As Paul is writing this letter, he knows that he's about to be killed. He knows that his life is going to end. Yet he not only encourages the new believers, he urges them to have joy. He urges them to find peace. The same peace that he has demonstrated to them. The same peace that he has shown them. The same peace that he has in his life right now and he continues to model to them. Right? This is somebody worth learning how to have peace from. And this passage of Scripture, not only because it's Scripture, and, and I'll just tell you right now, by itself, that makes it really, really, really important. Right? When we talk about the inerrant word where any Scripture in here is really important, but when we look at the context and we look at the author of this letter, that he is going to die and he is at peace. So let's spend a few minutes looking at what Paul has to teach us about how to experience peace in our own lives. So I'm going to begin in Philippians 4, verse 4. And Paul writes this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything be by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. And when we look at this passage, it starts off with Paul telling us to rejoice in the Lord. The next verse tells us what that looks like when the world is watching us. Paul writes, let your reasonableness be known. And we see that this Greek word is also translated sometimes, the reasonableness, and to be your graciousness or your consideration that you're thinking about others. And that attitude of graciousness, that attitude of consideration, that attitude of thinking of others comes when we know that we are safe in the Lord, right? When we, what we have in Christ, what we talked about from Ephesians, what we talked about the work that Christ has done, we talked about our salvation, we talked about Christ's love for us, those things do not fade. And when we know those truths, we can have peace. And there's not only joy that comes with what Christ has given us, but there's a freedom, A freedom to unselfishly love others. A freedom to not worry about what's going to happen to me next in my life, but how can I minister or how can I care for others. We are good because we are secure in Christ. We are good because we know that the work that he did on the cross for us was sufficient. We are good because we know his grace is enough. 
And when we know that and when we believe that, it plays out in our life and we let the world know our reasonableness. We let the world know our graciousness. And our lives should reflect the same grace that Christ gave to us. And as we read through these passages, Paul teaches us two truths on how to defeat the worry that strangles our reasonableness. Right? The, the worries that make us turn internal, the wor- worries that make us go self-centered and live lives focused on us instead of living lives that are selfless and gracious. And Paul gives us two truths that help us experience the joy of peace of God that surpasses all understanding. This peace that allows us to live grateful and gracious lives. So let's look at these two things that Paul teaches us. Paul teaches us first that to experience the peace of God, we need to pray all the time. That we need to pray all the time. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And when Paul says here, he says, in everything, right? That's in all that you do. That's as as you go. That's as you live your life. Pray, right? You are to be praying all the time. And the word that he uses for prayer here, it's this general word for just making your request be known to God. It's a word of when you're speaking to God, and it carries this idea of adoration and devotion and worship. And when we find ourselves worrying, our first action ought to be to get alone with God and worship Him. To get alone with God and remember who God is. When we do Bible studies, we talk about God being omnipresent, that He's everywhere. We talk about God being omniscient, that He's all-powerful. But when we get struck with worry, we start to panic. When we see things that scare us, we start to panic and to battle that, to fight worry. We need to get alone with God and pray. We must see his greatness and his majesty. We must realize that he is big enough to solve our problems. All, all of our problems. And sometimes when we're praying, we have this, this shuffling that goes on our head and we're like, oh, I'm going to pray for this, but then God might know that I did something wrong. But then God might know and I will be ashamed or God might know and I'll be embarrassed. Hey, church, he already knows. Right? We just talked about him already knowing that he is all-knowing. God already knows your problems. But you want to know something else? He's bigger than all of your problems. Right? We've talked about him being all-powerful, and his character alone should lead us to his throne in constant prayer, just knowing that he is bigger than all of our problems. And Paul gives two examples. He doesn't give a inclusive or all-inclusive list of prayers, but he talks about supplication, that we should be praying in supplication. And this word is not used too often in Scripture, but what it means is that you are desperately begging, right? That you spend your time pleading with God. You are giving Him your problems. You're giving Him your worries. You're giving Him your fears. You're giving Him your doubts, and you're pleading for His mercy and His grace and His goodness in your life. You are trusting that He is greater than any of your problems, And you are begging him to give you that peace. You are begging him to solve those problems. Sometimes we hold on to those problems. Sometimes we hold on to those worries because we think our problems are too big that God can't handle them. And we are stuck with worry. What does that say about our trust in God? 
What does that say about our knowledge of God when somehow we think we are bigger, more capable, more powerful than him? In his beautiful psalm, David wrote this. He wrote the song about trustworthiness, and in, in the middle of it, David sings this line. It says, trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Right, that we can cast our burdens and our worries on him and he will sustain us. And when we do that, we will find rest and we will find peace in our God. Just the other day, I had an opportunity to go to dinner with a pastoral mentor and several uh, ministry leaders, not all pastors, but several ministry leaders from all over the country. And we go out to dinner and we are sharing our burdens, we're sharing our concerns, we're sharing our worries about our ministries, we're sharing our concerns and our worries about our lives and are we leading our ministries well, are we leading our lives well and there was a lot of talking, right? There was a lot of concerns, there was a lot of burdens and I remember our food came out and the mentor looks over and he says, hey Kendrick, would you pray for us? I said, absolutely. And as I started talking, as I started praying, as I was communicating with God, and I'm giving him our burdens and our concerns, there's a peace. And what do we want with peace? We want more. So guess who kept talking, right? Guess who keeps praying? And I'm just laying it out all before God. I'm praying with supplication. I'm begging God that he would be alive in our ministries and in our, in our lives and that we would see it. And I'm going through each of the people one by one. And as I said, amen, the mentor looks at me and said, that was a prayer of supplication, not a restaurant prayer. <laughs> right? Now, now our food is cold. But we all had peace, and that was better than any hot food possible. Maybe that would have been a better time for a prayer of thanksgiving, right? Or the other prayer that Paul mentions. Unfortunately, we have limited this prayer of thanksgiving to like a pre-meal ritual, That's better than nothing, but it is a helpful prayer because at least we're spending some time thanking God for his provision. We're taking time to set ourselves aside and focus on what God has done with us. And Paul says, but in everything, we should be praying with thanksgiving. We should be approaching God with grateful hearts. When we take a minute and think of God's blessing in our lives and the grace he has given us, our hearts are guarded against the arrows of worry when we know what God has done for us in each of our lives. And church, we are really, really quick to go to God and ask for things and to beg for things and ask for him to give us things, but for some reason, we are very slow to go to him and appreciate and tell him we appreciate the things that he has done in our lives. Right, we, as Christians, we like to complain about it. I shouldn't say Christians. I'm gonna say parents. Right? We look at this next generation that's coming up and we're like, oh, they all think they're entitled. Right? We all have said that. We have all have argued about that. Yet at the same time, we have a hard time thinking of things to thank God for in our own lives. Like somehow we've earned the right or we deserve the right to send Jesus to the cross. Somehow we have done something in our lives that is good enough that God should be honored that we would talk to him. We are missing the mark. I don't know about you, but I could pray for hours and hours in gratitude for God protecting me during my teenage and young adult years. I was an idiot, right? But it's for the mercy of God that I'm not permanently confined to a hospital bed for doing something stupid. 
It's by God's mercy that, gosh, I shouldn't say this in my church, that I'm not in jail, right? That is by God's mercy in my own life. It is by God's mercy that my wife, Melissa, still talks to me. I was an idiot. And for all of God's mercy in my life, I am extremely grateful. But I can also think of many, many times in my life that I followed God's leading, knowing that it would turn out bad, knowing that it was a horrible idea, knowing that there's no way that I should do it, only to realize it was better than anything I could have asked for or even anything I could have imagined. And for that grace in my life, I will be forever thankful. And I go to God and I pray to Him and thank Him for all of the things that He led me to do that I wasn't sure were such a good idea. I remember getting married. I was in the Marines. I was told if the Marine Corps wanted you to have a wife, they would have issued one. This is in the marriages do not work out in the Marines. I said, oh, God's telling me to get married. And I'm going to tell you right now, I am so grateful for every day that I get to spend with Melissa. I remember when God led me go into vocational ministry, that that was a horrible idea. You guys, I've shared that with you. And I, I thought, how am I going to provide for my family? Right, we all hear the stories about ministry. And, and I was going from the military to a contracting job to the ministry. And each time was taking a pay cut, and I was thinking, God, there's no way this is going to work out. I'm going to tell you right now, his generosity has filled our storehouses overflowed. We have so much, and God has been so good, and he has promised to us, and his grace has just poured out in our lives. Having kids. I wasn't even sure how to take care of myself, and now I was supposed to have kids. I can't imagine my life without the joy that those kids bring to me each and every day. Every night, Melissa and I thank God for his grace, and we have extremely grateful hearts for the children that he gave us. And this is not an all-inclusive list of prayer types. It's not Paul was trying to do, but Paul was trying to, to give us this purpose. He was trying to encourage us that we need to spend time with God in everything that we do. You can spend time by asking him for things. You can spend time for being grateful and just with the prayers of supplication and prayers of thanksgiving, we can fill several days in just prayers. And if we don't want worry to consume our time, we need to spend more time with God. We need to share with God what is going on in our lives and the different challenges that we are facing on a daily basis. We need to spend time thanking him for his goodness and his mercy and his grace and for all the things that he has given you that you don't deserve. And if you don't know where to start, start with him loving you so much that he sent his son to die for you, that he gave up his son's life so that you could have life with him. That is a good place to start. And this year, to increase peace in your life, increase the amount of time that you spend in prayer, increase the amount of time you spend talking, being intentional about talking and listening to God. You can set a time to meet with God every day. You put appointments of people you meet with. You put doctor appointments. You put dentist appointments. You put work appointments. Put an undistracted time. Set it aside. Put it in your calendar and use that time to meet with God. You can start a prayer journal. And as you start to do that prayer journal, you'll start to see God's faithfulness and his grace in your life for each thing you write down. 
You can do a devotional on prayer this year. You say, I don't, I don't know how to pray. That's, I don't, that's a difficult thing. Nobody's ever taught me how to pray. Praying is important. Just a few weeks, months ago, we put out books on the back on how to pray through the Bible, how to just open up your Bible and ha- let the Bible guide your prayers. You can start there. You can pray while you're driving. Keep your eyes open. There's no added prayer if your eyes, no added power to your prayer if your eyes are closed, but you can pray whenever you're driving by yourselves. We're in LA, there's a lot of time you sit in the car just being mad at people. Change that to praying. Man, you could pray before you eat your meals. Occasionally, maybe you don't eat a meal. Maybe this, you, you do it reverse. Instead of praying real quick so you can eat, you don't eat at all. And you say, I'm gonna use this time to pray. I'm gonna use this time to spiritually feed myself and I'm gonna use this meal time as a prayer time. You can pray when you're walking with your spouse. You can pray when you're, you're walking by yourself and now you can even pray out loud. People just think you're on earbuds and everything is cool. But you can just need to spend more time in prayer. There's plenty of time in our lives for us to spend time with God in prayer. As busy as we all are, if we looked at our calendars, there are things that we don't even have to take out. I'm going to be honest with you. There are places where you could fit hours of prayer into your life. When you spend time with him, the peace of God will guard. And that term that Paul uses here, this is a military term. It is this guard like a garrison, like a soldier guards the barracks. It's a, it's a, a very... Um, uh, tangible way of saying that God will guard your hearts and your minds. So Paul tells us the first way to experience God's peace this year is to spend more time with God in prayer. And the second truth that Paul teaches us to experience the peace of God in our lives this year is to purify our minds. We must realize that our thoughts are real and they're powerful, and even though they can't be seen or weighed or measured, they are dangerous. And in his letter to the churches in Corinth, Paul warns that we must bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. We must bring in our thoughts so that we follow Christ. And like Dr. Phil gave us last week, he gave us a list of things to do, not to do. Right? He said, don't do these things. Don't fill your time with these things. Don't fill your heart with these things. Don't fill your mind with these things. And this week, Paul gives us a list of things we ought to fill our minds with in order to purify our minds and have the peace of God be with us this year. He starts it off with whatever is true. The devil tries to steal your joy through lies. Right? Another name for the devil is the great deceiver. That is how he makes himself known. And we don't allow Satan to take control of our thoughts. But we need to keep our minds on truth. Listen to this study in 2006. Dr. Walter uh, Calvet, this study was founded by the National Science Foundation, but Dr. Calvet does a study and he revealed some interesting statistics about human beings and worry. Here's what he said, 10% of our worries are insignificant or petty things. They fall into needless worry. Those are things we don't need to worry about. They really don't matter. It's um, after church, Melissa and I get stressed out trying to find out where we want to go eat because we want to get home really fast. But the kids don't like anything we like, and we don't like anything the kids like, right? So it's just needless thing to worry about. 30% of the things we worry about, we can't control, right? Most of that 30% are things that happened in the past, situations that are done, the, the bridges over the water, the, well, I don't know how you say that saying, man, they're just things that don't matter. 
30% of the time, that's what we worry about. 52% of the time, we worry about things that are imaginary or never happened and they're not truthful. 50% of our worry is fake worry. So if you do their math, that means there's 8% of our worries are real. Right, so if we just focus on what is true, we can eliminate 92% of the worry in our lives. Thanks you. You just, the truth comes from scripture, right? 92% doesn't matter. 8%, that's all we have to worry about. Over half the stuff that we worry about is not true. You want to start by having peace in your life? Stop worrying about things that don't matter. Things that don't exist. He goes on to say things, whatever is honorable or just, right? It's worthy of respect. It's right. It's things that are correct. Don't spend a lot of time on social media. You're not finding a whole bunch of honorable and just things there. I remember Melissa has been doing this, and she, this was a year or two ago. She was talking about social media. She like had to go through and and click on things that she liked a whole bunch of times to build an logarithm so she could get just good things she wanted. I was like, that's a lot of work. But there was so much junk on there, and she was trying to narrow it down. This stuff would fall fall underneath um, the opposite of honorable and just. These are not things that we need to spend our time on. They're not things that are worthy of our time or of our respect or of our attention. And he says, focus on whatever is pure and lovely and commendable. And as followers of Christ, we must major on the high and noble thoughts and not fill our minds with the garbage this world produces. This was something I was so convicted of about two weeks ago. About two weeks ago, God grabbed me by the the shoulders and stared me in the face about letting garbage into not just my brain, but my kids. We're sitting at my in-laws' house, and we're watching TV, and Bill is flipping through the channels. And then my kids see a title to a show that sometimes we may or may not watch together. And they say, hey, Grandpa, put it on that show. I was terrified. <laughs> no, no, no. And I'm trying to tell, no, 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 don't watch this. And he's like, oh, what's that about? I'm like, shut up, kids. Don't talk about this, right? <laughs> like, this is not good. It was horrible. My, my insides uh, shriveled. Church, if you're embarrassed to watch the show in front of other people, you shouldn't be watching it. I'm not, I'm not, it was a show, it's on normal cable TV. It is not a show I want to watch with my in-laws. It's not a show I want to watch with my in-laws when my kids are telling them what's coming up next. Just, Melissa went to work on Friday night, and as soon as Melissa walked out of the door, the kids said, hey, Dad, let's watch this show. I said, man, I've been convicted. Can't ever come on again in this house. Uh, God got me on that, right? But we're putting in just this garbage that we constantly put in, and we have to be intentional about setting up boundaries and about breaking that off. It's really easy to drift and soon find ourselves on this slippery slope, and we're just headed down, and before we know it, we don't know. We can't even identify what is true or honorable or just or pure or loving or commendable. We just look around and say, how did I get here? But more importantly, how do I get back? Right? This isn't where I want to be. I have good news for you, church. God has blessed his church with his word as the primary means for purifying our mind. 
He has given us His Scripture, and the Christian who fills his heart and mind on God's Word will have a a built-in radar for detecting bad stuff. He'll be convicted, and hopefully you're smarter than me, and he will get your attention earlier than I get it, or than he gets mine. But it's the Word that helps us, the Word that helps us detect our thoughts and our actions and the things that we say. Jesus prayed to sanctify them by the truth, your word is truth. We talk about sanctified to make us more like Jesus, to make us more pure. And he says, your word is truth. I want you to look at Psalms 19. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to that. It's like in the middle of your Bible. Open it up. You'll be in Psalms somewhere. Go to Psalms 19. And this is a Psalm of David, and he's talking about this word that was given to Moses. He's talking about this scripture. And when we talk about the things that Jesus was talking about. When we talk about the things, I'm sorry, that Paul was writing and he was talking about things that were true and honorable and just and pure and loving and commendable. As I read this passage, does any of this sound familiar? I'm going to start in verse 7 of chapter 19. It says, And the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than the gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward." you see the similarities between what Paul and what David talked about. You see the word is being perfect. You see the word is being reviving to the soul. You see it being make, making the simple wise. It gives us correction. It's beautiful. It should be uh, desired more than gold or the riches of gold. And keeping them, there is great reward. It is pure thinking as a result of daily meditation on God's word. It is that simple. Find two minutes, find two hours, and get alone with God and read his word. Every day, there are apps right now. I have an app on my phone that dings me at 10 in the morning. Right? That's a a time that I just need to get my life refocused. I maybe have started doing some of the administration or maybe I start working. It's this time I refocus back on God. It's time that I pray. And one of the things that I do is I just go to the scriptures and I read Read with God. Pray um, to God. And when we allow the word of God to shape and transform our mind, our thoughts become Christ-centered. Our thoughts become Christ-exalting. And as a result, not only do we experience the joy of knowing Christ, we experience the peace of God. When you spend time with God in prayer and in his word, the peace of God guards your hearts. And the peace of God guards your thoughts. The prophet Isaiah tells us this. You, and he's speaking about God, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And to experience the peace of God begins by trusting God. And then it comes by keeping your mind on God as we pray in God and as we meditate on his word And as Paul has faced death, he has peace. 
Right? He is gracious in his life. We can see this writing. And Paul has the peace of God because his mind has stayed on God. We see throughout Paul's writings, we see his prayers. We see throughout Paul's writings, uh, his, his heart for the Old Testament, his heart for the Word of God, his heart for the teaching of Jesus. And we see in Paul's life the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. And so this year, keep your heart on Christ. Keep your, your prayers to him in everything that you do, pray. Open up his word and allow the word to purify your mind. And scripture tells us that we, that you can experience the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. And for this year, as you go through it, what did I say, 350 more days, and remember that God loves you. Choose to serve your Lord and live in the peace of God. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your word. We're so grateful for the studying of your word, Lord, and it's just a reminder of every day of how much we need you. Lord, may as we study your word, may you remind us of your grace and of your peace and of your love for us. Lord, would you help direct our thoughts and direct our actions? Would you lead us to you in just times of meaningful uh, prayer? That you'd lead us to times in your word where our hearts and our minds and our souls are being refined and and we are no longer being conformed to this world, but we are being conformed to Jesus. Lord, we love you and we thank you. And it's in your son's precious and holy name of Jesus and all of God's people said, amen.